Hello, Yankees and Giants fans. Welcome back to Big Blue Pinstripes Podcast. I am Joe Buckright. I am the host. What a week for the Yankees. That was incredible. I talked about it last week saying I needed the Yankees to take care of business against Seattle, take care of business against Tampa Bay, and head into this week where they got a softer schedule with four against Baltimore, and they did just that. They went into, or Seattle came into Yankee Stadium, they took three of four, then they flew down to Tampa, took two of three at Tropicana Field, and they finished the weekend just a half game out of first place behind Tampa. They couldn't have asked for a better week. They got contributions from all over the place. It was it was an amazing series to watch. Um, had, had a funky power outage in one game, which isn't something you see very often since, you know, actually we saw it in the Super Bowl, um, what was that, 2012 with the, the Ravens and the 49ers, but since you don't really see power outages, which is kind of wild, so that was that added a wrinkle to it, and the funny thing about that is they came back from the power outage after whatever it was about an hour wait and then Tyro Estrada got back into his at bat that had already begun before the power went out got back into his at bat and hit a bomb uh, it was awesome. It was a it was a hell of a week. Really looking like it could have been a seven and a week. They the two games they lost, other than the one to Seattle, they they got trounced by Seattle. But the the game in Tampa Bay that they lost on Saturday really could have been a win. Uh, they they obviously didn't get it done, but that that was exactly what they needed. So that that's awesome. It's, it's if you're a Yankee fan right now, it's a great time to be watching this team. But anyways, welcome to episode four. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. If you haven't noticed yet, I have posted my first rapid reaction video. If you go to head over to patreon.com slash big blue pinstripes, you can see it there. Um, as I've said in earlier episodes, the first rapid reaction video, maybe the first two of them are going to be free. Going to be for everyone to see just to get an idea of what they're about, what I'm doing. Anytime a major transaction happens, anytime, you know, any anything happens that involves some breaking news between these two teams i'm going to post a rapid reaction video that video is going to be posted solely on patreon it's going to be virtually a live stream video sooner or later we will start doing live streams when i get when when we build the audience up a little bit and i can get people to tune in live and you know we can talk about this stuff we can i can interact with you guys um until then it's just going to be basically a live video that i record i post you guys can check it out see how i feel about certain things i might get some other people to to chime in tell me what they think see get get a couple different point of views but but for the most part it's going to be me just kind of ranting about some transactions that i don't like raving about some that i do like and kind of give you an idea what's going on it it also gives you a way to follow the team in, in a different way rather than you know just reading on twitter from said yankee or giants beat reporter the yankees giants signed this player for this amount of money on this day to do this position no i'm going to tell you what I like about it, what I don't like about it, how it affects the team, how it may help or hurt the team, things like that. Uh, so it, it, it'll be pretty cool. So head on over to patreon.com slash big blue pinstripes. The first video was a reaction to the trade that brought Kendris Morales to the Yankees from the A's. I'm not going to give you anything whether I like it or not. You can go ahead and head over to Patreon and check it out. Uh, but yeah, so there's that, and you guys can get an idea of what those are about. So hopefully you like it, and you'll be interested in seeing the ones in the future that are not free. So, as I started the Yankees, you heard the intro. Michael K calling the game, didn't actually say the name. That was Gio Urshela's game-tying home run in the second game against the, uh, the Mariners on Tuesday. Um, a game that, I'll be honest, they really should not have won. They were outpitched, they were outplayed in a game they really shouldn't have won, and they did. So that kind of gives you an idea of where this team is. This team doesn't stop. They don't They don't give up. They don't pack it in 
and say, you know, this is one of 162. We can afford a loss. No, they don't look at it that way. This team is is battle tested. Uh, these these guys are are young, but not necessarily new. Um, they've been around the league. A lot of these guys come from other teams. A lot of these guys grew up in this farm club, and they they've been there. Um, they know how to win. They know what needs to be done to win games, and they're doing it. They're doing it without some of their big guns, and it, it's pretty fascinating to watch. It's incredible. I mean, I can watch any game and, and not think they're out of it, and I haven't prior to, you know, maybe last year, we haven't expected that in a while, so it's it's pretty cool, and if you're a Yankee fan and you're not enjoying this because you're not seeing the big, the big guys hit bombs every week or every game, then you're doing it wrong. I mean, this team is is resilient. They're they're good. They're playing well. They're hitting. They're moving guys over. It's baseball at its finest, and they are doing it better than just about anybody else in the league. The, the Rays have been rolling, and the Yankees went into town and took two of three and basically outplayed the Rays from inning one to inning 27. They outplayed them, outpitched them, outhit them. They just did everything better. They lost one game due to some defensive miscues. The game on Saturday really came down to a very bad sixth inning in which the Rays took advantage of some defensive errors. There was a stolen base attempt. Gary Sanchez made a very, very good throw. He ended up getting the error because the ball got by LeMahieu and it looked like the ball bounced. However, the ball didn't bounce prior to getting to LeMahieu's glove. It bounced kind of underneath it. I guess you can say uh, DJ didn't get his glove down far enough, so the ball went underneath it. LeMahieu said in a post-game interview he should have caught the ball. That was a beautiful throw by Sanchez, and he he messed up. And that's coming from the reigning National League second base gold glove winner. I mean, he's a defensive stud, so that's not something that you can take lightly. It's not, I'd say Brett Gardner, it's not Luke Voigt saying I should have made that play. Well, Luke Voigt misses a bunch of plays. It's DJ LeMahieu, one of the premier defensive infielders in baseball, making a bad play and taking ownership of that when another player on the other side of the ball gets the error that was undeserved and really adds to the stereotype of saying Gary Sanchez is a poor defensive catcher, which he really isn't. And he's showing that this year. He's he's playing much better, but that was a good throw. It would have been a, a guy caught stealing second base, which really ignited the rally that kind of opened the game up from a 2-2 tie, and they... they kind of took advantage and rolled to a 7-2 victory. The Rays to a 7-2 victory. The Yankees lost. Really, other than that one inning, the Yankees outplayed them the entire series. Tanaka outpitched Snell on Sunday, which was the matchup we were all waiting for. And the Yankees, the Yankees historically hit Snell well. Um, he had a lot of trouble against the Yankees last year, and he went on to win the Cy Young. He had trouble against the Yankees that game. He struck out a ton of guys. He had, I think, 12 strikeouts in whatever six or seven innings that he pitched. However, they, they did get to him. If he wasn't striking them out, they were getting hits. It wasn't like he was just plowing through everybody. I mean, there was guys that were making contact, and they were scoring runs, and they beat him. He took the loss. They beat him, and they kind of have been making a habit of that, and that bodes well moving forward because he's one of the guys in this division that – if the Rays are going to make a serious run at a division win or playoff, you know, going deep into the playoffs, Blake Snell is going to lead that charge. And if he can't beat the Yankees, that's a good sign because pretty much going to be the one guy from that team that will be able to deter the Yankees from, you know, achieving what they want to achieve. He's going to be the one guy that's going to take the Rays to where they want to be. And if he can't beat the Yankees, then they're not going to beat the Yankees in a, in a, in a series. So... That looks good for us, and you know, the more they do it to him, the more it's going to rattle his confidence, and that's that's good. Other than that, it was an awesome week. Um, we had a lot of big performances, a lot of guys that are just rolling right now. 
They're getting some guys back. Aaron Hicks is set to be uh, activated this week. I'm recording this. This is Tuesday night, and this is right after Monday's night, Monday night's and Tuesday night's game got postponed. Uh, Wednesday, tomorrow we have a doubleheader. I'm not sure what they're doing about the second postponement. Maybe a doubleheader Thursday, but that seems like an awful lot. So they'll probably move the doubleheader later in the year. Or they're pretty close in proximity to the two cities, so they might just find a common off day and you know schedule a game then. But I haven't read what they're doing yet so for now it's a double header on wednesday game on thursday we'll get three out of the four games in and we'll figure out the one game later but that's a series they need to take advantage of and then welcome the rays back into town this weekend so i mean they could finish this week in first place if they if they play the way they've been playing and they're getting some reinforcements back james paxton is throwing bullpen sessions again saying he's getting he's feeling a little bit of of soreness in his knee but not like it was, so they're, they they still got high hopes for him coming back fairly soon. So we'll see what happens with that. If he gets back uh, at the, in the time frame they originally expected, which was three weeks from the day of the injury, which was about 10 days ago, if he comes back in that actual time frame, then they're in good shape. So before I get to what was most likely the biggest win of the season for the Yankees, I want to mention something that occurred on last Sunday. Tommy Canely, the relief pitcher who had a lot of trouble last year, is coming back really strong this year, um, actually set a record on Sunday. He became the first pitcher in Yankee history to have 11 straight perfect appearances out of the bullpen. No hits, no walks, no runs, 11 straight appearances with perfect performances. Never been done in Yankee history. Pretty impressive. Ended up losing that on Monday against the Mariners. Let up a run in his one inning of work. However, that 11-game stretch was pretty impressive. And we meant, we talked about him last week uh, in last week's episode. He's been pretty much the most consistently dominant pitcher in this bullpen that kind of got off to a rough start, but they're getting it together now. He was that guy that was leading the charge that was coming in almost every day. And they were bringing him pretty much every day in the seventh inning. And he was coming in, getting one, two, three, come out. The Yankees are feeling good. Then they only have two innings that they had to figure out between Britain, between Onovino, between Chapman. Uh, these guys that were supposed to elongate, you know, to three or four innings, they only had to figure out how to get them through two. And that helps with the way they've been pitching. Britain really hasn't been pitching that well. Onovino's been okay. He's not letting up a lot of hits. He's not letting up a lot of runs, but he's letting up a lot of base runners. A lot of people getting on base against him. He he's, doesn't have a great control of the slider, which really is his signature pitch. He hasn't really had the best control of it, so he's been struggling a little bit to prevent people from getting on base. But like I said, he's, he's not letting up some real damage. However, between him and Britain, they're not completely reliable right now, so only needing... Two innings out of those three guys helped, and Canely's been the reason for that. So it was it's a big help with, with the resurgence of Canely. All right, so now let's get to Tuesday's game. Tuesday's game was absolutely unbelievable. It was uh, Tanaka. He pitched pretty well, um, went six and a third, let, let up five hits, two earned runs. Um, only struck out four, which isn't that great. His splitter was not working really well. His splitter hasn't been the splitter that we've expected of his career. Hasn't really been there this year. He's been learning to pitch without it. Had a couple rough outings in the beginning. He's getting together now and he's rolling. The team just wasn't hitting that day, which is a outlier for this season. The team has been pretty consistent in scoring four to five runs a night. They weren't doing it that night. However, we get late in the game. You're down 4-1. A wild pitch uh, lets in a run in the eighth, makes it 4-2. We get to the bottom of the ninth. And then, boom, Gio Urshela, the man that nobody thought was even going to be part of this team come, you know, opening day. Miguel and Duhar gets hurt. They bring in Urshela, and he is 
tearing it up, hitting 348 on the seat or 341 on the season. When 348 this week, one of the hottest hitters will get to the hottest players of the week in a little bit. However, that game was his game. He actually let, made a crucial error earlier in the game, which led to a building of the lead for the Mariners, which ended up bringing it to 4-1 in, I think, the 6th or 7th inning. And then he got his redemption. As you heard, Michael Kay's call to start the show hit a two-run bomb in the bottom of the night to tie it to Monument Park and dead center. Wasn't one of those cheap front row right field, you know, Yankee Stadium home runs. No, it was a bomb to dead center on an 0-2 count, nonetheless. Um, with wind blowing in, the weather wasn't great in New York this week. It was a, a mammoth shot and... The Yankees would go on to win a couple hitters later. Cameron Maven would get on base. Cameron Maven's another guy that was brought in a couple weeks ago. Wasn't you know a part of this team to start the year. Wasn't supposed to be a big player when he got here. Wasn't was supposed to be a fourth outfielder. A couple more guys got hurt. He got sprung in. He's hitting over 300. He got on base, stole second, which got the winning run in scoring position, and then none other than Mr. DJ LeMahieu, the absolute best player on this team right now. Uh, hit a single to right field. There was a close play at the plate. Uh, the Mariners challenged it. However, he was safe. Game over, 5-4. In my opinion, biggest win of the season. Absolutely the biggest win of the season. You can't, in, in a race with the Rays that they're having right now, and the Red Sox are red hot, closing the gap behind them ridiculously. They're, I think they're only three and a half games behind the Yankees, four games behind the Rays. They're rolling. The Yankees need to not lose ground against teams that are worse than them. They don't. They can't give up games that they need to win like they have in the past. They can't do that anymore. Not with the amount of guys that are on the injured list. The guys that are here, when there's games that the Yankees can take, they have to take them. They can't give them away. And that was one of those games where, in all honesty, they should not have won it. They, they were outplayed for most of the game. However, it's it's just one of those things. This team, this team just doesn't give up. They don't go away. They keep getting on base. It's what I've been saying for, for 10 years as a Yankee fan. You don't need a lineup full of guys that are going to hit 225 and hit 40 bombs. That'll win you 85 to 90 games, and then you're going to get swept in the playoffs. That's just the way. When you're going against the league's best pitchers every night like you do in the playoffs, those guys are not going to win games. The guys that are win games are the hitters, the good, good hitters, not the power hitters. DJ LeMahieu is one of the best hitters in baseball, won a batting title in Colorado. Everybody you know, kind of gives a knock against the hitters in Colorado because the air pressure, this, that, the other thing. However, he came over here. He's not missing a beat. He's hitting 333 on the season. One of the best hitters in the American League. One of the hottest players of the week. As I said, we'll get into that later. And he, he's the guy that I want up. He's hitting over 500 with runners in scoring position. Over 500. And that's not like a three for five. That's a 16 for 30 kind of thing. Like he, he has plenty. It's not a small sample size. He has plenty of at-bats with runners in scoring position. And he is producing every single time. He has... He's played 36 games, whatever it is. He has 22 RBIs and only two bombs. So it's not he's not driving in runs with home runs. He's putting wood on the ball, putting the ball in play, allowing people to, to run the base pass and score runs, and that's what we need. He's, he's Derek Jeter's clone to me. He hits the ball over the field, doesn't strike out, has a good eye. He takes his walks when he needs to, but he's such a good hitter that he doesn't really need to take walks because he puts the ball in play before... He has to. He's just such a good hitter. He, When I watch him play, it's so much like reliving my childhood and watching Derek Jeter again. I mean, he's such a wizard with the glove. Granted, he made the, the bad error that cost them, sort of, not really cost them, but kind of 
played a major role in costing them sa uh, Saturday's game against the Rays. But in all reality, he's a wizard with the glove, and he can play all over the infield. He can play first first base to third base, everything. And he's just one of those hitters that just, I, I don't know if anybody's ever said it, but I'm, I have to assume the pitchers don't like pitching to him. He's just pesky is the best word I can think of. He's, he's pesky. He fights off the good pitches and he takes advantage of the bad pitches and he doesn't necessarily take advantage of them for three run bombs, but he'll take advantage of them for a rally starting double or a game winning single to end the game. And I don't know if anybody else notices, but did that game winning single remind you anything of Derek Jeter's walk off single in his last game at Yankee Stadium? It was kind of close. Had the same swing, the same inside-out swing, the same shot to right field. The play at the plate was was a lot closer this time, but, I mean, God, the resemblance is uncanny. I've been telling everybody I've talked to in the last couple weeks, this guy is Derek Jeter's clone. I wish we had him sooner, but I'm so thankful we have him now, and I was so happy when they signed him. I, I've been watching the Rockies for a couple years. I've liked a lot of their players. I think they've got kind of a bad reputation because of the city they play in, but those guys, something about that team and that farm club and or that GM, whatever, he, he knows how to find hitters. They have trouble finding pitchers that either are willing to pitch in Colorado. It's, it's tough for them to get free agents to come out there just because of the, the bad rap on pitchers in that altitude. But they get hitters, and those hitters go elsewhere, and they still hit. So you can say whatever you want about the Colorado altitude. Hitters hit, and those guys are hitters. And we got one of them, and he has been essential to this team. Like I said, one, the hottest hitter in the league, one of, one of the best hitters in the game right now. One of the guys that just pitchers don't want to face. It's as simple as that. He drives pitchers insane with the ability to just put wood on the ball and put it in play everywhere so there's no way to shift him. Defenses have to play straight up, and when when you're a hitter that can go up against a straight-up defense every time, you're going to get a lot of hits. That's just the way it is. The reason averages are down and, and pitching stats are up are because of the shift. And you can say what you want about the shift. You're giving up a, a hole over here. You're giving up a hole over there. But there's a reason for that. They, they know that the hitters don't hit it that way. They know that out of 100 balls, they're going to hit two to left field and 98 to right field. Like, I'm going to take my chances if I... If, in 100 at-bats, you get two hits, and I get you out 98 times. I'll take that chance every time. The shift is annoying when it doesn't work, but it, trust me, it works a hell of a lot more than it doesn't. And the guys that can hit everywhere across the field that prevent defenses from employing that shift are the hitters I want on my team, and we got a slew of them. All right, so now that I got you listening to the show, it's about time I get you playing DFS on the best DFS app that's out there. I'm talking about Draft. If you like fantasy sports, you obviously like the Snake Draft. That's the best part about fantasy. We all know that. Draft.com gives you that ability to continue using the Snake Draft while also getting that DFS fix in. You get a daily Snake Draft, 6 to you know 15 players each time. Nobody has the same team. It's a lot different than those other apps that you have salary cap and how many thousands of people have the same team as you, so it's impossible to win. Even if you win, you're going to split with 35 other people. Draft.com doesn't give you that. You're going to have a different team from everybody else in your group. The pots are a little bit smaller because you got smaller people, but it's much, much easier to win money, and it's much, much more fun to do a draft rather than find the salary cap. The best thing about Draft.com is if you sign up using promo code NERDS, N-E-R-D-Z, you get a free entry to a $3 contest after your first deposit. So sign up today, Draft.com slash N-E-R-D-Z, and play DFS using your snake drafts today. 
So as I teased earlier, uh, we're going to start a new segment on the show that is going to be called Studs of the Week. So each week I'm going to give the hottest players of the week for whichever team is playing or both. There's going to be a couple weeks where both teams are playing. Hopefully a few weeks if the Yankees are getting pretty deep in the playoffs. But at the end of the day, there's going to be a couple weeks where both teams are playing or it's going to be heavily towards the one team that is playing unless something absolutely outrageous happens in the other team's offseason. But I will be giving game balls to whoever's the hottest players of the week. They will be getting an official BBP game ball. This week, I will be giving out three BBP game balls. And the first of which goes to DJ LeMahieu. As I talked extensively about in the previous segment, DJ LeMahieu is the best player on this team. Best hitter on this team right now. Probably one of the two or three best defenders on this team. He has secured a role as the leadoff man in the lineup, and he is rolling with it, getting on base at a ridiculous rate. Um, this week specifically, in the seven games played, he went 11 for 27, which equates to a 407 batting average. Impressive. Had a home run, four RBIs, a double, and just playing excellent baseball. Just every facet of the game. Made the one blunder that I mentioned before um, at second base on a throw from Gary Sanchez on a stolen base. Not going to happen often. Happened that game. Possibly cost that game. But all in all, in the seven game stretch, he had an excellent week and is really the catalyst of this team that is in that lineup every single day. Missed about a week, I guess, with a uh, knee issue. But other than that, I mean, it's every day he's in the lineup playing somewhere. He came to this team, the, the craziest story about LeMahieu is he came to this team really without a position to play. The Yankees had, their infield was set. They had Luke Voigt slash Greg Bird at first base. They had Gleyber Torres at second. They had Didi Gregorius at short and or Troy Tulowitzki, but it's really Didi's position when he gets back. And they had Miguel Andujar at third. DJ LeMahieu came here as an everyday second baseman of Colorado. He was sold by Brian Cashman to come to New York without an official position. That's amazing to me. He's one of the best second basemen in baseball, and he came to a team where he wasn't sure he was going to be playing every day. And he signed an okay deal. I mean, he's, he got two years, $24 million. I mean, it's a lot of money when we're looking at it, but it's not that much money as far as, you know, baseball players go. And he came to a team that had a culture set, had a, a history of success with these guys getting to a Game 7 in the AL Championship Series two years ago. They had extremely high set of expectations going into this year. It's almost as if we're back to the World Series or bust that we came to expect as Yankee fans in the past. And he came to this team with no expectations of even playing. And one thing I read online a couple weeks after the season began was that when he entered free agency with Colorado, he called up his agent and said, get me to New York, get me to the Bronx. Let me say, he didn't want to go to the Met. Get me to the Bronx. And it had nothing to do with, I want to play second base for the Yankees. I want to be the one who leads them to a World Series. It was, no, I want to wear the pinstripes. And he's doing that, and he has become the best player in this lineup as of right now, and will probably be one of the best two or three players in the lineup when everybody gets back. He is just, he's that good. He had an incredible week in a week that was essential to the Yankees and ended up going 5-2 and two and really closing the gap on Tampa Bay and giving them the opportunity to secure the lead in the division come the end of next week, which will be on you know his shoulders and a few other shoulders. The second BBP game ball will go to Gio Rochella. As is the theme of this segment, Studs of the Week, three guys that are getting the game balls today are three guys that I talked about pretty extensively to begin the show. Um, Gio Rochella was 
phenomenal this week. He had the biggest home run of the year when he tied the game in the bottom of the ninth against the Mariners on Tuesday, which really gave them the freedom to play Wednesday and Thursday with no fear of losing a series, which I mentioned before, the, the biggest thing in baseball is winning series. And that game basically gave them an opportunity to give some guys a night off the following night or you know Thursday night. These guys play 162 games a year. They're going to need nights off. However, when you're in a stretch that's so vital to the team at a time of the year where you really can't get left behind, we're at a point in the season now that if you get too far behind, you're not going to be able to come back. It's it's just the way it is. The first couple weeks, it's not as big of a deal. You can get four or five, six, seven games back. When you get into the heart of May towards June, like you need to keep that season or that uh, division race pretty close. And he made a massive, massive uh, step to keeping the Yankees in close proximity to the Rays in the division and giving them the opportunity, like I said, to give either Wednesday or Thursday, use one of those two days as a, virtually a night off for two or three guys. Um, there's nights where you're going to see you're going to see your backup catcher and you're going to see your fourth outfielder and you're going to see your, your utility infielder in. You're going to see all three of those bench players starting, and that really gives you sort of like a B lineup or an A and a half kind of lineup, while still giving your team the ability to win a series, which is huge. Usually when you sacrifice one of those games where you're bringing in those guys to start, that you're giving up a game in a series that may not be winnable, or chances are you're doing it on the third game of a series where you're up 2-0. Either way... This, that game was huge, and it was a it was a huge, huge step for the Yankees to win that game. They needed to win that game. It was one of those games where they weren't supposed to win, but if you win, that sparks the team for the rest for the next three, four weeks. They can look back at that game and be like, look, we were down 4-2. We were not playing well. Actually, we were down 4-1, two innings prior to that. Weren't playing well. The Warriors were out playing them. However, they found a way to do it. They gritted it out. They got players, got runners on base. And Urshela came up with a big hit that tied it. LeMahieu, who got the previous game ball, came up with a hit to win it. That's just one of those games where those guys are going to be remembered for that. But it wasn't just that game. He had a he had a week where he went 8 for 23, which is 348, which is roughly a season average. It wasn't like he was playing better than he was. He just continued it. Uh, he's hitting 341 on the season. So that 348 average is pretty typical. However, in, in seven games, he had a bomb and had nine RBIs. Have, when you have nine RBIs, and he's generally in the bottom half of the lineup, usually hitting around six, seven, eight in that kind of range, and you're driving in that many guys, you know you're having a good week, and you are taking advantage of every single at-bat when there's runners in the corner position. That's huge, especially when you're a team that right now the Yankees are constructed in a way that they're not hitting as many home runs, which... I don't mind. However, when you're not doing that, these guys need to, to get hits when there's runners in scoring position, and they're doing that. Mainly Urshela and LeMahieu, and they're driving this force. That's a team that I don't I don't know what other teams are thinking, but they have got to be scared of this team. I mean, this team is is missing six legitimate starters, and they're a half game out of first place, and, and one of the best teams in baseball. It's unbelievable, and. Urshel is one of those cast-off guys that got released by the Indians, and the Yankees said, all right, let's give him a shot, and boom, he's probably responsible for, I don't know what his war is, but he's probably responsible for three or four games in, in their 24 or 25 wins, so it's it's awesome. And the third BBP game ball goes to Masahiro Tanaka, the guy who has been their ace for the last few years, kind of got kicked out of that spot when Luis, Luis Severino took over the helm. 
and Tanaka was kind of thought of as someone that they thought might leave in free agency a couple years ago. He intent he decided not to, ended up opting into the final three years of his contract, and kind of had to find a new way to pitch. His, his fastball is losing velocity. His splitter is not dropping the way it you know has in the past. He's not striking out as many people as he did before, but he's figuring out a way to pitch, and he's still winning games. This week, he went 1-0. I had a no decision in Tuesday's game and then beat Blake Snell in Sunday's rubber rubber match against the Rays that ended up winning the division or winning the series and bringing them to within a half game of the division. Uh, in in total, he went 13 and a third and only allowed three runs, struck out 11, and again beat Blake Snell, who's the reigning Cy Young winner. So I don't really care what your numbers are if you beat Blake Snell for us. That's that's a game ball in my books because Blake Snell is good. He's not as good against the Yankees as I said earlier, but he's good and he's tough to hit as he showed by striking out 12 guys. And between innings one, two, and three, he struck out seven hitters in a row. So there's no denying that the guy has stuff and the guy can pitch. The Yankees hit him well. The Yankees hit a lot of people well. They're good hitters. But still, the Rays can hit too. They're one of those sneaky lineups that doesn't hit a lot of home runs, but they got a lot of 300 hitters, and they got a lot of guys that can steal bases. They run the base path well. They're gap to gap. Not many guys you can shift on. They're just one of those teams, similar to the Yankees right now, that are, are tough to beat. They got a bunch of pesky hitters. The Yankees, however, have powerful reinforcements coming that the Rays don't. So it, it bodes well that they're beating them with these guys. But we'll see how it goes. Um, but again, Tanaka has been a stud. He, he's been the guy that we needed with the loss of Severino and now the loss of Paxton as well. You got Herman who's pitching unbelievably. Uh, Hat through a good game this week, but he's been relatively bad all season. Tanaka had a rough, a couple rough games in the in the beginning, but he's gotten it together. He's keeping the home run ball to a minimum which really has been his kryptonite in years past. He likes to pitch up in the strike zone and when you miss up in the strike zone, those balls usually leave the park. Uh, when that splitter's working really well, he usually misses down in the strike zone that's where his, you know, he's had a success in the past. Like I said, he's got a, he's had to figure out a new way to do it this year, and he's doing it. And if he keeps this up, and they get Paxton back, and they get, you know, Severino back, whenever the hell Severino's coming back, this team can be legit. And I mean, they're legit now, but they can be dangerous. Uh, teams are gonna fear, you know, facing the Yankees if they got 100% of their team playing and their pitchers. The one thing that was kind of the downfall or the expected downfall of this team coming into the season was a starting rotation. Nobody questioned the lineup. Nobody questioned the bullpen. Everybody was questioning the starting rotation, and they're, they're treading water. They're, hold, they're holding up their end of the bargain. They're not blowing anybody away, but they're also not letting the, the floor fall out beneath us and blowing everything. So they're doing what they need to do, and Tanaka is the big driving force. So those are our three BBP game balls, and we're going to be doing the Studs of the Week segment every week moving forward. <laughs> All right, so just a quick look ahead to the week that the Yankees have in front of them. Um, as I've said before, um, I'm recording on Tuesday night, so Monday and Tuesday's game both got postponed against the Orioles. So the idea is they're going to have a doubleheader tomorrow and Wednesday. They're going to play one game Thursday, and the fourth game will be made up on August 12th, which I just looked up on Twitter, which is going to be a split doubleheader. So they got three games against Baltimore coming up in these next three, the next two days, and then they got three games against Tampa Bay. Just like I said last week, they had the same kind of set of games 
They had a weak opponent for the first four days, and then they had the Rays for the final three. You got to take advantage of the Orioles. I know it's it's very hard when you got a doubleheader. Doubleheaders are tough um, because chances are one of the two games you're going to be sitting a bunch of guys. But you got to look at it on the other side is that the other team is going to be doing the same thing, and your bench guys are better than their bench guys. Your bench guys are probably better than their starters. Let's be honest. The Orioles are the Orioles, and they're going to Oriole. The problem is the Yankees have had trouble with the Orioles for as far back as I can remember. I don't know what the deal is. It doesn't matter how good the Yankees are or how bad the Orioles are. The Yankees have trouble beating them, and I, for some reason, the Orioles just have their number. But they got they got to squash that this year. The, the difference in the division last year was the way the Red Sox handled the Orioles and the Blue Jays. They dismantled the two teams, and between those 38 games, probably won 30 of them. Between the 38 games, but that the Yankees had with those two teams, they probably won maybe 20 of them, maybe not even that many. I think they went roughly 10 and 10 and 9 or 11 and 8 against the Orioles. You can't do that again. That team is so bad, man. You cannot let them almost split the series with you. It's just embarrassing. You got to take, in all honesty, you got to sweep them. You you swept them last time. You got to do it again. You got. I mean, out of those 19 games, you got to win 15 of them. You really do. That team is so bad. Um, so, so take three of those at worst, take two of them. Like I said, you want to keep winning series, but when you got a team that's as bad as the Orioles, you want to sweep them. So take care of your business. Just play sound baseball. Like I just don't beat yourself. Just don't beat yourselves. Chances are you're not going to run into a hot pitcher, which is usually what happens when you lose to a bad team. Cause even some bad teams have stud pitchers. The Orioles don't. The Orioles have nothing. They don't have the threat of Manny Machado anymore. They, they just, they have nothing. Beat them, beat the shit out of them. You should score 28 runs in those three games. Beat the living shit out of them. And by that time, you may be already in first place. And then, worst case scenario, you stay where you are a half game back and enter the weekend with a legitimate chance to take over the lead, which is all you can ask for. If you're if, if the Yankees finish this week in first place on May 20th or whatever date Sunday is with the team they have, that is absolutely fucking unbelievable. And nobody would have predicted that when they saw the construction of this lineup going into the season with, uh, well, not necessarily going into the season, but after that first, you know, 10 games when they pretty much lost everybody. I mean, they lost everybody. It wasn't just a guy here and a guy there. They lost basically a player at every position. They lost Gary Sanchez for a little bit. They lost Greg Bird for pretty much the whole season. They lost, or the, yeah, the whole season thus far. They lost Troy Tulowitzki, they lost Miguel Andujar, they lost Clint Frazier, they lost Aaron Hicks, they lost Giancarlo Stanton, they lost Aaron Judge, they lost Luis Severino, they've lost James Paxson, they lost Dellen Batances. I mean, it's unfucking believable the amount of players this team is missing, and they have a legitimate chance to be a game or two up in the division come May uh, 19th, which is Sunday. If if that happens, I, I swear to God, it's going to be, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to change my pants. I mean, it, it's unreal what this team is doing, and they have a legitimate shot, like I'm saying. I mean, Baltimore sucks. Take advantage of Baltimore. Beat, win those three games. Take two of three from Tampa Bay again. As I said last week, all I wanted from Tampa was four of six. Give me four of six. Two of three. Two of three. Call it a series win. That's all you need. That team is good. I Trust me. They're good. I'm not. I'm not one of those fans that thinks the Yankees are God's gift to Earth, and all the other teams suck. No, I can recognize when other teams are good and the Rays are good. So if you're not gonna go 18 and one against them, just win every series. Win two of three, two of three, two of three. Go 13 and six. Boom, done. You win that series. Chances are they're not gonna beat you in the division if you got a seven-game advantage over them in the head-to-head. 
That's it's hard to do that. It's hard to beat down every other team so much that you can make up those seven games. That's all you need. It's just winning two of three every time. And then, you know, winning three or four once. Boom, done. Do it again. Win four of six. So if you can go this week five and one against a team that sucks and a team that's good, that's that's a boost. If you go five and one, you're in first place. It doesn't matter what the Rays do. Uh, the first four days. If you beat two of three against, win two of three against them and sweep the Orioles, you are in first place. You are in first place as probably the third best roster in the division at this point when you're just looking at name value. Behind the Rays, behind the Red Sox, you're probably the third best roster in the division based on name value and you pretty much should be leading the division by the end of the week. You can't ask for anything more as a Yankee player, as a Yankee fan. Every other fan across baseball hates the Yankees, so you can't say as a baseball fan. But if you're looking at it objectively and you see a team that's missing pretty much every superstar they have and they're in first place, how can you hate that? This isn't the Yankees of the past. I know everybody hates the Yankees just because they're the Yankees and they beat the shit out of all their favorite teams over their years. But this isn't the, team, the Yankees team that you have had grown to hate over the years and when you're seeing this team do this these young guys these guys that are actually nice that are relatable that are likable you see what they're doing it's impressive and people across the league are taking notice i have friends that hate the yankees that are like how do they keep doing this like i don't hate the yankees why am i not so angry that they keep winning it's fun to watch if you're a yankee fan enjoy it enjoy it i'm telling you i don't care if it's not it's not flashy it's not sexy they're not beating the shit out of people just by hitting the the long ball all game long but this is more fun to watch and if you're a yankee fan don't take this for granted enjoy it all right so as we get to the giants portion of the show kind of like how it's going to be for probably the next few weeks or months there's not a whole lot brewing in east rutherford the the one thing i want to start with it's not anything football related, it's fashion related and you know outside outside of the sport just you know what the players are doing off the field in general and the Met Gala. I, I don't even know what the Met Gala is, but a lot all the big celebrities in the world, biggest athletes, everybody goes to this thing. Whatever it is, I have no idea. No clue what they do if it's music related or movie related or whatever. No clue. But everybody goes and there's like a red carpet and Odell Beckham Jr. was there. I know he's not a giant, but he's still a giant in my heart. And what the fuck was he wearing? Um I don't know if anybody saw this. Dude had on a Okay, he had on a suit top, a tuxedo top, shirt, bow tie, and jacket with the sleeves cut off. So he had a tank top suit on with, you know, all these, he's tatted pretty much from head to toe. So he had a suit top, his arms hanging out, his tats everywhere, and then he had a skirt, a, a fucking skirt. No, I don't know how else to say it, just a black kilt and weird socks and boots. Like like hiking boot. I, I saw this picture. I was like, what the fuck is this guy wearing? You look like an idiot. What are you doing? I, you're trying to impress your new teammates. You're trying to impress your new city. And you go to a fucking party dressed like this. You dress like a, a woman. I don't know what he's doing. He, and he had a baseball hat on. Not not a team. Just a just an all black baseball hat. Just a regular straightforward brim. Or a curved brim straightforward hat. I, I don't. Ah. I know he's the the fashionista of the NFL, but good God, uh, you see, you know, guys like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and uh, Larry Fitzgerald going to these things, and they're dressed up nice, like they're getting married, or they're going to, you know, they're I, I don't know a very fashionable, very famous party that all the other celebrities are going to, and they want to look good. He looked like an idiot. I don't. I, 
I thought it was funny. Thought we'd open the Giants segment with that because there's not a lot going on, and he's not even a Giant, so I thought that would make it a little bit more comical. But oh man, uh, if you get a chance, I'm I'm gonna add the photo. I I retweeted it on Twitter, so you can follow my personal Twitter at Joe Butkerite. Um, I tweeted it on there. You could see what he's wearing and tell me what you think because he looked like a fucking idiot in my book. But I love the guy and he's one of the most tantalizing players in the league and I'm going to watch everything he does, even as a Brown or wherever he goes in the future. He's going to be one of my favorite players to watch. But, oof, don't know what he was doing there. All right, so let's actually get into some Giants talk. Like I said, there ain't much going on. It's rookie mini camps. It's nothing off the field. They signed uh, right tackle Mike Remmers, previously with the Panthers, probably a Dave Gettleman guy from his time in Carolina. I don't know a whole lot about the guy. I know he was really good a few years ago, had a couple rough seasons uh, ratings-wise. Uh, he wasn't very highly rated in the pro football focus statistics, whatever they do to put out their grades for players. He, he wasn't rated very highly, but let's be honest, he's probably an upgrade to what we got. The, the line the way it was constructed constructed last year just wasn't good enough. It's just it's embarrassing, and they didn't address it in the draft, so they pretty much have to address it in free agency, which they've done. They've signed two, or signed one, traded for one. So they're doing what they have to do. They're improving the line. They're doing it differently, differently than I would have liked. I would have liked to have gotten younger while we're doing it. Let's build around Will Hernandez because he obviously showed that he can be a guard for the of the future so build around it that way they didn't decide to do that this year they got their quarterback and maybe they're going to focus on the line next year's draft i don't know because chances are they're going to have a higher pick next year i don't think they're going to be picking in the top five again i think they're going to i think they're going to shock some people i think they're going to be better than you know everyone's thinking I'm not saying they're going to go 11 and 5 and you know win the division and you know, advance to the NFC Championship game, but I think there's a chance they win five or six games, which, let's be honest, is an improvement over the last couple of years. So whatever, they they might pick you know seven eight, get a lineman there or whatever, keep trading up into the first round and drafting a cornerback. Speaking of the cornerback that they took in the first round, DeAndre Baker is impressing everybody. He is playing like he was the best cornerback prospect in the draft, which he was. And like I've said in the last episode, he I like the pick, I like the player, I think he's going to be a stud. I would have liked a lineman, but this I think this kid is going to be a stud. He like I've said I think he's the most can't miss player that they picked and they're already saying he's probably going to start the season number 2 on the depth chart given health and behind Janoris Jenkins, which let's be honest, I don't think Janoris Jenkins is all that good. One and two, I don't think he really cares enough to be that great. So if DeAndre Baker comes in number 2, you have a couple good games, dude, you're the best corner on the team in my book. Like, I, I can give a fuck less about Jenkins. You can get rid of him. You can trade him. You can release him. I don't really care. I'm not a fan of the guy. He's only going to play well if you're winning because that's the only time he's going to care. If you start losing some games, he's just going to give up and give up touchdowns all day, and he's just a fucking pain in the ass. DeAndre Baker is impressing everybody and kind of showing everybody why the Giants thought highly enough of him to want to move up into the first round to get that option fifth year in his contract and hey we'll see i like I, I like him i like the player i like the pick i like i like the everything i read about him in his college profile thought you could have waited to you know the, the sixth pick in the second round but they must have knew something and they moved up to get their guy and they also did it because they wanted that fifth year i mean that's why people that's why teams move into the back end of the first round either you're moving up to get a quarterback that you know somebody else is looking for or you're moving up to get a specific player that you would that you would pick whatever your next pick is 
you're moving up to the first round to pick that guy, which may be five or six picks too early for him specifically, but you want that fifth year, which is pretty important. If you've got a team that's going to compete in the next five years and you've got rookies that have that option, it's huge. So then they got, they signed three uh, first round picks to that fifth year option this year. So that, I mean, that'll be big if this team can turn it around, which kind of all depends on the right arm of Mr. Jones, who we continuously talk about. And we'll bring it up again. He impressed everybody. Everybody liked him. Everybody thought he you know, showed he can be an NFL quarterback in minicamp. He's playing against other rookies, so he's pretty much, it's pretty much a college showcase of any player that was drafted or undrafted free agent that was signed uh, and basically putting on a formal rookie combine because you're just playing against other rookies. I mean, they're not going up against Dalvin Tomlinson ain't there. Janoris Jenkins ain't back there. These guys that you're going to see on Sundays aren't out there. You're going against rookies. You're going against the guys who played in college. And, I mean, he should look good because, frankly, if you watch his tape, he did look good in college. If you look at his numbers, they don't impress you, but he, he played better than his stats show, and he... I guess he's showing that, and we'll see. If he, I can say it over and over and over and over and over again. If he turns out to be the guy that they thought they think that he is, the Giants are going to be in good shape for 10 years. It doesn't matter who else they drafted. The other nine guys they took in the 2019 NFL draft will never matter if Daniel Jones is the guy. If he becomes the next Eli Manning, the next Peyton Manning, which some people are claiming he's going to be, if he becomes that guy, these other nine picks don't matter. I've heard on multiple radio stations, some sports talk radio shows that I listen to, some podcasts that I listen to, you're also not just comparing him to the quarterbacks in this draft. You're also comparing him to Sam Darnold, who ironically plays in the same building. You're comparing him to Josh Rosen, who the Giants could have gotten this year for a second round pick. So they could have had Saquon Barkley with the second pick this year, last year, and they could have gotten Josh Rosen, which if they would have taken him, for instance, if they would have taken him with the number two pick last year, nobody would have said a word. There would have been no negative backlash, nothing. It would have been completely respected and it would have been praised by everybody. Whether he turned out to be the quarterback that was worthy of being the second quarterback taken in the draft doesn't matter. The Giants took a pick, took a chance on a guy that had high expectations and was rated very highly coming out of college. He was rated higher than every single quarterback that came out of out of college this year. He would have been, at worst, the second best quarterback this year behind Kyler Murray. At best, he would have been the best. He was arguably the best last year, and at worst, he was the number four last year, and by most accounts, those five guys last year, maybe not necessarily Lamar Jackson, the, the big four, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, uh, Baker Mayfield, and Sam Darnold, all four of those guys probably would have been better than everybody that was picked this year, is what most draft experts are saying, most college football experts are saying. So he's being compared to Sam Darnold, to Josh Rosen, to Josh Allen, who necessarily wouldn't have been the second pick that would have been labeled a reach, but he did get picked in the top 10. So you're being compared to him and I I'd say you're being compared to Baker Mayfield but you really can't because the Giants didn't have a chance to get him. So you can kind of kind of cross Baker Mayfield off that list because the Giants had no chance to get him. They weren't going to trade up to 1. The Browns were keeping that pick. They weren't going to move it. So Baker Mayfield was untouchable to the Giants, so exclude him. But you're comparing him to uh, Dwayne Haskins, to Drew Locke, to Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, and yeah, I said I I Lamar Jackson maybe, but I Lamar Jackson sucks. Let's be honest. The dude can run lightning fast he's michael vick with no arm i don't i don't care about him he's off my radar he's going to be the next robert griffin the third he's going to be out of the league in four years he's not good i 
Joe Flacco's not good either, so I can understand why the Ravens want to take a chance on him, but he's he's not going to do anything. They're not. He's not going to light the world on fire. He's a he's a guy that defenses know how to stop. He he'll run down your throats and that's fine. But in order for the Ravens to do what the Ravens want to do, they need to keep that defense as dominant as it was last year because Lamar Jackson ain't carrying them nowhere. He ain't carrying him nowhere. So I'm, I'm not even worried about him. That's all I got for you guys this week. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week on the Big Blue Pinstripes Podcast. This episode of Big Blue Pinstripes Podcast is brought to you by Draft.com. Everybody that's listening to this show is obviously a sports fan, so you're definitely a fantasy sports player. We all know the best part about fantasy is the draft. Draft Draft.com gives you the luxury to get that DFS fix in that season-long fantasy leagues can't quite give you, but also gives you the luxury of having the draft. You get the snake draft every single day. You get to play smaller groups of people, 6 to 15 people, smaller pots, but a bigger chance to win. Everybody has a different team, so there's no 35-way split at the top like those other salary cap sites always have. So head on over to Draft.com, use promo code NERDS, N-E-R-D-Z, and draft your DFS lineup today.